It's Lifeline with Jesse Gestand. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gestand. Yes, I am, and I am the real deal. (laughs) Yours truly, Jesse Gestand in the house today. Happy to be with you, joyful to be in Christ, thankful to be alive, and looking forward to engaging you uh, for these next two hours in uh, in whatever might be of stirring interest on this February 26, 2018. It's a wonderful, wonderful day. Isn't it a wonderful day, saints? This is the day that the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. The number one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight. Three six seven five three two nine. As I stated, I'm glad to be back. Uh, was not sick, uh, maybe sick because I missed you all for one program. But I was not sick. Just, just the opposite. Actually, actually, I was uh, engaging in some uh, respite and a time of refreshment and recuperation and uh, regathering of my wits, uh, enjoying some t- some time with my wife and. Her family down in Southern Cal and the prestigious Lawrence Welk Resort Inn, if you will. I was just a bag boy. I'm just letting you know now I ain't got it like that. But I was the bag boy and did enjoy uh, a, a pristine environment. I mean, boy, I'll tell you, resorts can be of, of real benefit and, and blessing if you have the resources. And for those of you who are seniors and you and you want places to get away uh, towards or to, I would recommend Escondido, California, San Diego area, and the Lawrence Welk Resort. Uh, They've got a lot of amenities there. It is relatively designed for more retired personnel, but it does have significant and adequate facilities for children swimming and playing games and things of that. And it's couched in, perched on uh, a mountainside filled with rolling hills and rocks everywhere, roundish rocks, more um, round and smooth type rocks inside the mountain. So the uh, the, the picturesque scene is uh, very comforting, very peaceful as you walk up and down the hills. It's, it's kind of hilly, so if you're not super healthy, you might want to think twice. But if you're healthy enough to do some walking, it's a great place. Golf course running all through the place. Didn't play any golf. Largely what I did was... Um, it was I wait on my 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 in-laws and then also just enjoy some quiet time with my girl, exercise a little bit here and there and uh, read a lot, just enjoyed some reading, catching up. It was one of the only kind of vacation times I've ever had where I could actually do some reading. I'm generally given to schedules, even on vacation, where, you know, after you come back from that kind of vacation, you need a vacation <laughs> from the vacation but I did get a chance to read, which I love to do, avarice in reading theology, um, philosophy, uh, and certain uh, a social-oriented uh, material, uh, world worldviews and, uh, and issues going on in our society that are, that's relevant to us as human beings. And so I got a chance to work on some stuff, and so I'm ready to go, ready to go. Just do want to state as we begin to kind of take our program to the next level of— uh, of discussion and topic is that we've got a couple of uh, very important dates coming up here this Wednesday, two days from now, we will be gathering with our women's theology class for 10 whole weeks. 
So if you're out there and you uh, have an itching to be part of a Bible study from 7 to about 9 o'clock, maybe 9.30 on Wednesdays for the next 10 weeks, I guarantee you, you won't be, um, you won't be disappointed. Uh, the subject matter is the Trinity. We will be dealing with what is called a topic for us for the next 10 weeks, the Trinity and me. The fundamental objective is to help us understand the biblical doctrine, the biblical concept of the Trinity and the relationship of the three persons, that is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in our lives individually. There's so much talk and, and banter and and debate, which has gone on all the way back to the 4th century AD, as you guys know, if you know anything about church history around the Trinity, and so much hostility towards it, even in our present day, by people who are just not, well, either interested, enlightened, or um, or um, uh, granted uh, enough and sufficient information to see that the Bible really does teach the doctrine of the Trinity, and and uh, without that insight, you really are going to find yourself parsing the Bible in some kind of obtuse, bizarre way as you argue and defend either no God at all or a sort of massive Unitarian concept of God, which is prevailing largely all over the world today. But for those of you who are Trinitarians or uh, at least biblical uh, Christians who hold to a monotheistic framework, that is, the Lord our God is one Lord, him only shall you worship, and yet you recognize that there are three persons who exist as Father, Son, and Holy Ghost who share the same divine nature, um, then you know that you have the challenge of being able to hold intention one and three. And if you don't have a really good handle on the threeness of God and the oneness of God, I am going to help you with that. It's going to be a great class because it's not only about the cerebral satisfaction of being able to put together propositional truth around the the whole concept of the three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but you knowing him personally and benefiting from their interest in your soul individually in terms of the Father and his relationship to you and you towards him in terms of the son and his relationship to you and you towards him. And in terms of the spirit of God and his relationship and you towards him, all three persons, real distinct substantive persons have a particular and specific role in your life collectively and individually. And don't you really want to know what that is so that you can be the best Christian you possibly can? Um, well, yeah, you do. And particularly in terms of biblical womanhood, because that's the thing that we will be addressing, that the biblical Christian woman is to know her God and to know her God through Jesus Christ and to know Jesus Christ in a vital saving way by virtue of the work of the third person. So we get to the first through the second by the third, and all three persons are there to help you Fully engage all that you are and all that you have been called to be as a woman. So we'll be looking at uh, what it means to dance with deity for about seven weeks after we spend a couple of weeks working through uh, classical biblical doctrines on, on the Trinity. We will press into what it means to have a relationship with those three persons in a saving, sanctifying, service-oriented way. And uh, we will look at models in the Old Testament, and then we will just kind of press into the real challenge of, do I know God? Do I know him biblically? Do I know him relationally? 
Can I declare who he is in the truth from a sound biblical propositional standpoint? If I can't, well, you need the class. You really just do need the class because somebody can come along and hoodwink you and give you another God, and you will think that that's adequate, and it's not. Again, I stated John 17, 3 requires that all of us know God in the person of Christ and by the power of his spirit, because that is in itself eternal life. So this is going to be a great class. Bring your girlfriends out, your daughters out, all everybody out that wants to take 10 weeks to devote yourself to deity, to learn how to dance with deity, and then to devote yourself to a time of observation of three or four sisters in the scriptures who basically did get a handle on the true and living God and were able to live out the fullness of his glory in their life, which is what women are called to be, the fullness of him that filleth all things. And, uh, yeah, just going to have a great time. That's Wednesday, uh, two days from now, 7 o'clock at Grace Bible Church in Hayward. I'll tell you what else. This Friday, we call it Calvary Night. Mm, 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 mm. Got some great worship coming, wonderful songs. We're going to praise him. We're going to lift him up. We're going to exalt him. We're going to bow before him. That is our maker. And we're going to bow the knee before Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. And we're going to acknowledge the glories of the cross in Isaiah chapter 53. Um, The first 10 verses, we will be dealing with the rich narrative of the prophet Isaiah and his declaration of who God is and who Christ is and who we are and what he did and why he did it. And our hearts will be astounded at the enormity of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross in Isaiah 53 on Friday. So come on out. If you have not heard the gospel in a long time and you want to be once again reacquainted with that tree of life by which God's glory is manifested in his holiness, righteousness, in his love, his mercy, his justice, and in his peace. Come on out on Friday. And then Sunday we'll be dealing with the facts of the resurrection of Jesus Christ historically in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that subject will be Christ has indeed risen, and we'll deal with the implications of the resurrection of Christ, which is the reason why you and I exist today as believers. Had Christ not risen from the dead factually 2,000 years ago, the myth of his resurrection, if that, if that in fact what it was, as many would assert, the myth of his resurrection would not be sustainable for these 2,000 years with all of the kind of technology arguments and oppositions that have gone on from the days in which Christ himself lived up to the present time. But even then, ladies and gentlemen, it'll be a matter of gospel preaching and exaltation of the clear and explicit biblical truths concerning the person and work of Jesus Christ and the rich, rich, rich hope that we have because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that has been passed down to us now again for almost 2,000 years. So we will celebrate. It'll be first Sunday, so we will observe the Lord's table. It will also be a time where we will eat and gather around the table of food as we do at Grace. Some of y'all know that. So be ready to enjoy a great time. By the way, Sunday's worship starts at 1030. We won't have a Sunday school start at 1030, and we'll just get at it. These are great days. This is a great time. Again, if the Lord has been dealing with you in your slothfulness of biblical studies, men and women, uh, come on out. Don't don't make another excuse for being unable to give an answer to every man that asketh you the hope of your calling. 
uh, with meekness and fear this year. Don't wait. Learn. Get a handle on the God you say you know and love, especially through the Bible, so you can adequately uh, answer. And in some cases, yes, defend the gospel of the grace of God in Christ in a in a biblical fashion. That's Grace Bible Church in Hayward on uh, Wednesday night and then on Friday. Hope you can make it. Our sisters have a great time gathering together. So I want to call your attention to the movie that uh, I saw maybe about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, and that's the movie uh, you can only imagine. You guys remember that that movie? It just came out recently. And if you know anything about it, um, let's talk about it. Let's, let's break it down. Let's deal with its theme. Let's deal with its paradigm. Let's deal with its offense. Let's deal with its resolution. Let's, let's deal with its overall overarching, uh, heart-tugging, convicting, gripping, cleansing narrative. If you did see the movie, uh, it should have moved you. There's no doubt about it. It should have moved you. I, I'd pay to see it twice. Uh, it was just that good. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. So again, uh, when we come back from the break, I'm going to press into the movie a little bit with you, and then I'll, of course, I'll take your phone calls on whatever theological subject or topic or practical issues or problematic issues you may have. I'm just ready to talk to you now. It's your friend Jesse Gistin. It's your brother in Christ, Jesse Gistin. It's your pastor. Jesse Gistin, this is the host of this program for Monday. Jesse Gistin, the number is one triple eight three six seven five three two nine one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. What's on your mind? I'll tell you what's on mine when we come back. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistan. And we are back. The time five twenty-two on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Three lines open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Three lines open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I was talking about um, the movie. Um, if you could only imagine, and if anyone saw it, if anyone had a chance to step out and uh, be impacted by what. Uh, is one of the few Christian movies that come out uh, in our time. Uh, you know that that's really good. I I don't go to movies a lot. I think I told you that. <laughs> it just happened to be during our ROE rules of engagement, we were giving out gifts, <laughs> just being gracious and loving and charitable, and uh, we were doing it in the form of uh, um, you know what raffling. And my wife happened to have won a package of tickets to to theaters to see the movies. So we saw the first movie we saw was the black Panther. We talked about that at length as we applied a gospel framework on it. And then we, we went the next week. Then we saw, um, only imagine movie. Um, I can only imagine. And, uh, you know, I didn't put a whole lot on it in terms of, you know, what it was going to be like, because generally Christian movies don't have the same kind of, uh, economic backing. They don't have the same kind of, uh, uh, publicity exposure. I mean, you get a lot of it on, on a Christian network, but not largely on the secular network. And we understand why, don't we? 
But uh, so I wasn't really expecting the movie to do a whole lot because I've seen some low budget Christian movies. Believe me, some low budget Christian movies that I wouldn't even watch on Xfinity, to be honest with you. You know, that's not saying anything other than that I'm just not an absolute uh, movie buff in that way. But this movie was really, really, really good. And I'm going to ask the question and uh, and see you see what you guys have to say about it. And then after maybe three or four callers, I will uh, render my observation. What would you say was the main theme of the movie? What would you say is the main theme of the movie? You could only imagine. I want to go to line number one and talk with Deb. Line number one. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Deb, are you there? Um, this is Shay. I'm sorry, Shay. My, I, my glasses are so foggy today. I thought it said <laughs> D-E-B. Shay, how are you? I'm doing fine, Pastor Jesse. Welcome back. Thank you. Um, I'm not calling about the movie. I was calling about something else, actually. Okay, now tell me what's your, what's your whole name? Shay. Shay? Like Shay Butter? Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, is that right? Mm-hmm. Bless you. Is it S H E A? Yes, it is. Okay, I'm. I'm gonna keep it like that. Then do do I know you or no? <laughs> no. Okay. All right. So now I know you now. Okay. All well, right. I was calling in because I had called on Valentine's Day, mm-hmm. and I had shared that I was going to treat myself um, mm-hmm. instead yeah. of sitting home yeah. alone. I remember that. And. Um, okay, and then you reminded me about Jesus, mm-hmm. and I hadn't forgotten about Jesus, but I hadn't mentioned him. Right. And then um, on the on a call following, you had mentioned to another caller that I had uh, phrased myself in a way that sounded narcissistic. Mm-hmm. And so I felt a little put off by that, mm-hmm. and then um, I kind of laughed it off and, you know, was chuckling about it. And um, But the next day... When I was having my quiet time, I just put it before the Lord, and He did show me some spaces in my life where it's been all about me and my feelings, so where that narcissism has shown its head. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think that it that it, it was about Valentine's Day, just some other areas in my life. So basically, I just wanted to call to say thank you. Um, I mean, you don't know me. But it was a word of correction that was aptly spoken, and I just wanted to say thanks because it's it's really helped me. That's amazing. Um, uh, that's amazing. First of all, um, um, I appreciate that you actually dealt with that remark well, because um, uh, a lot of people don't, Shay, to be honest with you. Um, uh, people just don't handle even sort of secondary admonitions that aren't not necessarily directed personally. Uh, and I do want to say a, a couple of things with it because you just, not only did you work through the offense, which is what Christians are to do, we have to ask the question, as bad as it feels, is God talking to me or am I just supposed to, you know, shoot the messenger and keep rolling? But it, I can tell not only now that you, you j- first of all, your authenticity was very clear when you spoke with me at that time because I, re- I remember that day and I remember you now vividly. Uh, and so it was not even a question of authenticity in terms of uh, what you were what you were saying. My observation was very objective, and I would say that all of us have measures of narcissism, and you're intelligent enough to know that. I just know because because you know as children, um, 
When we're born children, we are narcissistic. That's our nature. We have to be trained out of a me-centered world as a child. Mm-hmm. And, and, mm-hmm. And, and you move from a child, childhood state uh, into a learning state. Padion is the Greek term for being educated, and education kind of shapes and molds us. And at the same time, it opens our eyes to other than ourselves. And then we begin to realize we got to negotiate a world that's not waiting on me, <laughs> you know, and that's yeah. the choice between staying childish and growing up. And and that's what Paul meant in First Corinthians chapter 13, um, around verse 11 or so, when he said, um, when I was a child, I thought as a child, but when mm-hmm. I became a man, I put away foolish things and I started thinking more maturely. And for you to be able to do that is huge. To call back is utterly honorable. I I honor you for doing it because people don't do this. Um, You could have just worked it through, but you let the Lord help you. You let him show you pockets where that was true. Now, I'm just going to explain briefly what I meant so that – so that it can it can actually be understood in even more of a friendly fashion because I want you as my friend. I don't want you thinking yeah. that that um, that I was just kind of taking a shot at you, um, especially not with you uh, being on the line. Um, <clears throat> narcissism uh, is often the filler that enters into the vacuum of a lack of concrete and clear resolve to make God everything. Mm-hmm. Narcissism is the filler. It's like nature abhors a vacuum, and where that vacuum mm-hmm. is, it's going to be filled with something. And right. if, if it's not about God, it has to be about us. That's the tension of Scripture. Mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. is the difference between the true believer and the worldling. The true believer is living a life pursuing the fullness of God in them. This is why I'm super jazzed about our Wednesday theology class for our women around the Trinity and me, because my goal is to help our sisters understand their fullness in God. And when and when you get a grip on your fullness in God, because God has made you, Shay, as he has all women, to be the very expression of his fullness in all of biblical femininity. And when you understand that, then you can go about being what God has called you to be, and you can find yourself totally and completely satisfied with you and him and him and you and you for him. And that's going to shape your language, too, because when we get it right and we really do understand how much the Father loves us and how much the Son loves us, and how much the Holy Spirit loves us, and how much we have been ordained by them to be the fullness of the invisible God expressly as who he has made us, then we're, we're, we're not at all afraid to give him all the glory uh, in those areas because we, we know then that really it is about him. It, but here's the thing I want to say before I let you give me the, give the last word and we close up. When I say it's all about him— He would say to you and me, if he were present, (laughs) he says, yes, Jesse and Shay, it's all about me, but it's all about me through you. Mm -hmm. Therefore, Mm -hmm. we don't disappear. 
Uh, we don't, we don't, we don't evaporate into nothing. Uh, we, we are, this is attention because, I, you know, I'm operating out of my gift right now. This is what God has called me to do and be. And I've been doing this for some, some 30 years now and God is growing me in it. Uh, and I can't get out the way, Shay. I mean, people have to know me for who I am, but in knowing me for who I am, they get to know God better. Right. And right. so so I want to encourage you along those lines as you continue to fill those po- pockets of narcissism. Don't fill them in the way that you disappear. We want to see everything that God means for you to be uh, in this world because he meant for you to manifest his glory in all of your gifts and all of your talents and all of your offices and in all of your callings. That's what he wants for you. Thank you. Thank you for that. Okay. Anything else? Appreciate it. No, I just, um, I have soaked in all that you said, and I, I really just wanted to call back and say thank you. Um, I was a nervous about calling back, but I felt I had to. So yeah, yeah. Call, I you, really do appreciate it. Call anytime. That's a major, major growth factor. Call anytime. Bless you. Thank you. All right, I got to take a break. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Doesn't happen a lot. Doesn't happen a lot. Somebody call. One of you sisters call and tell. Um, Sister Shay, what that means by way of potential and implication. So one of you sisters that know what I'm talking about, call and confirm that young lady and where God is taking her when she's able to do something like that. On top of that, we're still talking about uh, the movie. I can only imagine. And I'm asking the question, what was the main theme of that movie? One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I'm not gonna forget Shay. I got a secretary who's uh, who's the, the last part of her first name is Shay. <laughs> I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. All right, we're back. All the lines are open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. You have two assignments. One is if you saw the movie, maybe you didn't see the movie. Uh, I can only imagine, and you want to um, chime in on my question, what is the main theme of the movie? Give me a call. Let me know. one 367 If you heard our monologue, our dialogue between myself and Shay, and you um, were moved by her, her um, openness and willingness and boldness and confidence in God to be able to share how she struggled through an indirect admonition that I rendered. Um, yeah. Affirm your sister. That's what we're called to do. One triple eight, three, six, seven, five, three, two, nine. As the proverb puts it, reproof of instructions are the way of life. The law is a lamp. The commandment is a light and reproof of instructions are the way of life. When God loves us and wants us to come up out of certain dark, ugly, um, binding pits, he shines the light in. And initially that light It jars us. It offends us. But it's light nonetheless. It's a revelation. It's an illumination principle. It's a proposition that that cracks open the darkness and obscurity of our uh, failure to see when we are me-centered versus God-centered. And and that's what truth does. It, it, It wedges open in order for us to see. Um, and, 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 and that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful thing. One triple eight, three, six, seven, five, three, two, nine. Again, the movie was absolutely emotionally enjoying. I mean, it really did tug at me. It really did tug at me. 
Uh, it was short, which I loved as well. And and what I liked is that it kept moving. It kept moving. It was a narrow lens movie, by the way. It didn't uh, it didn't expand out into big circuits and travels all around the world. Small regional, uh, a local kind of movement, and then a small cast of actors. Um, but I also loved sort of the uh, you know topography of the movie, and that is that it was kind of contextualized in a music uh, context, and I love music, uh, and so that was great because I've been talking to you as well as my own uh, congregational family about the two sides of God, his propositional reality, and then his his uh, aesthetic reality, the fact that God is holy and beautiful at the same time. Is just exquisite, wouldn't you say? And when we properly grasp the fullness of God's worship uh, for us towards him, it's going to be worshiping the Lord in the beauty of holiness. You remember, it's the Psalms. The man that God said was a man after my own heart, his name was David. God said, David has such a passion for me that I'm going to let him be the author of worship for the people of God, both Old and New Testament. And David was the sweet psalmist. Yes, he was a prophet. Yes, he was a king. Yes, he was a temporary priest. He was many things that pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. But his voluminous work on the Psalms, both his own as well as those that he gave to the priests, the Levites, um, are utterly instructive. And David says we are to worship the Lord in the what? Beauty. Of holiness. Now, take those two terms because they really do need to be unpacked. There are some people who will often, they will often um, uh, acknowledge that God is holy, but they won't always acknowledge that God is beautiful. And a lot of times, even in our churches, what you discover is that there's a war between the beauty of God and the holiness of God. Now, when people do that, ladies and gentlemen, what they have done is created a false dichotomy uh, because they don't necessarily know how to retain a view of the transcendent holiness of God with a view of of God's imminent beauty as well. But creation ought to teach you that. Creation ought to teach you that God is a God of holy beauty. And a beautiful holiness uh, is the description of our God through his creation. Wouldn't you say Wouldn't you say a wonderful message is not only holy, but beautiful Uh, when the message is preached in the power of the spirit of God, when it has a a kind of anointing and a rich tenor and texture to it, that it moves you from point A to point Z. And as you travel through the discourse of that message under its sound and under its influence and under its power, and it, it, it tears you apart and puts you back together, it opens you up and it then also shuts you up to Jesus. And then it gives you clarity, conviction and comfort. And when you're done, you say, what a glorious savior we have to still have mercy on me today. That's a beautiful thing. That's why God saves people through the preaching of the gospel. Or I can tell you another beautiful thing. When a brother sets his eyes on a sister and uh, the heavenly Cupid shoots him with the arrows and he goes struck and uh, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And we go, wow, look how beautiful women are. That's the other aspect that I'm looking forward to teaching when we go into women's theology around uh, their fullness as an expression of what God meant when he says, I created man and woman in the image of God created he them in the image of God created he male and female. 
And what does that mean? It means that God is intensely committed to beautifying his creation through and through, continually replenishing it with beauty as well as holiness. And that's that's a different beast than what we would call, you know, giving ourselves over to the morbid expressions of the flesh that are uh, perverted and corrupt. Beauty is what we're talking about. And so uh, uh, the movie had that element in it as well for me. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine is the number I want you to call. Three lines open now. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. If you want to call and chime in on our previous two observations, I'll, I'll uh, start spitting out some some observations when we come back from our break. But I've got three lines open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Let me go to line one and talk with Deb in Oakland. Deborah, are you there? Yes. What is your thoughts today? I wanted to tell everyone that, yes, that that Jesus that Jesus is beautiful, wonderful, and everything else, and we don't deserve him. And and yet he thinks that we are wonderful and, and beautiful so, too, and beautiful too. Yes, and wonderful and beautiful and all of that. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, that is a wonderful compliment that such an almighty and merciful and kind God should, should uh, bestow that kind of uh, grace upon us. Are you crying about that, girl? You ain't, uh, you ain't crying, are you? Yeah. you making me cry. Stop it. Stop uh, it. Stop it. It's wonderful. <laughs> it is true, Deb. It is. It's wonderful, Jesse. And, you know, it's wonderful because... We had no, no, um, no grace to give him. Nothing to give him that would equal what he could give us. Yep. You and then pr- he continues to doing it, morning, noon, and night, continually. And and then on top of that, we get to rule and reign with him for all eternity as well as in this life. You're preaching, girl. You preach it. This is my favorite day of the whole year. Is it? There is, yeah. It's a wonderful time, isn't it? Yes. And and I don't have anybody to celebrate it with. <laughs> so I wanted to celebrate it with all of you. And we will celebrate it through the whole of the week and, uh, and even into Monday as well. So you, something special is going to happen for you over the course of these next three or four days. My group going to pray that through. Pray that through for you, and you'll be able to share with us whatever insights and revelations God's going to give you for Friday and Sunday. Okay, and oh. then also continue praying for my my miracle cat that God's going to bring. Oh, oh yep, yep. Be patient. That cat is coming. Yeah, I haven't got it yet, but I know it's coming. You know it's coming, right? Yeah. We believe God for it, don't we? Yes, we do. And we're going to wait on him, and then we're going to rejoice when it happens. Friday's coming, but Friday's here, but Sunday's coming. That's right. I'll talk to you later. Thanks for the call. That was excellent. I got to take a break. The lines are filling up. We're going to get at this in a minute. We gonna This ship is going to get off the off the uh, deck, and uh, we're going to make our way down to the promised land. This is the Monday edition of Lifeline. I do have one line open, one 367 I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. And we're we're back. The time is five fifty on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Let's see here. We will go to line number 
four and talk with Kyle Day in um, in Oakland. Kyle Day, what's your question or observation? Uh, hi, Pastor Jess. Hey, what's going on? Um, the, the movie, I think the main theme you asked the question is, uh, by the way, I, I appreciate Sister Shea. That was a really honorable way of dealing with uh, correction. I agree. And um, and offense, and uh, and thanks for the feedback that you gave her. Mm-hmm. The uh, movie, um, I think the main theme was forgiveness. And with the sub-theme, really, of uh, self-righteous um, anger that will essentially, um, which is sort of antithetical or oxymoronic, the other side of, you know, true walking in the light. Mm-hmm. So it was really hard to watch. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of uh, parallels, you know, personally yeah. in that story. Yeah. And I understood, by the way, I really thought Dennis Craig did an excellent job of playing the father. That's oh, incredible. It's incredible. Incredible um, job. Yeah, no, I, I would say, and I think you might agree, I would definitely say that all men, uh, post-dad, pre-dad, should see the movie. I totally agree. I totally agree. Because the ethic or the, uh, you, you talk about and teach the three paradigms of the scripture, and the father-son paradigm was heavy in that movie. Right. And um right. And ultimately I think what scared me about the movie was that the son and I think you brought up uh, there was a tie-in uh in the message that you brought on Sunday where we consider ourselves walking, you know, in the true light of the gospel and you know, we've learned certain things but um Sometimes uh, we have moments of insanity or or um, what you call, you know, I guess when you, you forget your God or wander from the God that you love. True. And, and um, it made me think of the father. There was a scene in the movie where the father says, well, if all these people can, these raggedy, wretched people can be forgiven, can I be forgiven? Right. And the, and the son says, I can't forgive you. Right. And that was for me the pivotal scene, because the um, the son effectively out in the public market was essentially saying, you know, I love my father, mm-hmm. I love my father God, and I love who he is and what he's about, which is includes honoring the authorities that are given to you, including your parents. Yep. And uh, so he was presenting that, but essentially he was saying, I'm in the church and you're outside the church and I'm kicking you out of the church because you don't have the right qualifications to be in this family. So he was essentially becoming sovereign in that statement and murdering his father. Yeah. It was the real, you know, that was really the, the juxtaposed against God taking, you know, publicans and harlots and wine bibbers and stuff that were outside the church like the blind man and finding them outside the walls of the city and bringing them to himself and rejecting the self-righteous ones that were in the church claiming to be like the older brother hey i'm doing everything right so the tie-in you know that was 
scary because we have to learn to see ourselves in the scripture that, uh, you know, God is holy and beautiful, but he saves things that are totally undeserving. And, um, but it was a beautiful situation. It doesn't, it didn't flush out whether the son really totally forgave the dad. I know it, it sort of implied that. And, uh, but that was sort of the takeaway for me that, you know, God deals in the economy or the, you know, the, the currency of dealing with the foolish things of this world. He picks things that, you know, nobody would actually select to be his inheritance or his treasure. And he cleans them up, adopts them. And uh, you said something on Sunday regarding, you know, with our words, Mm -hmm. we will take people that we claim to love, whether it's our parents, our daughters, our sons, our spouses, our friends, and... When they make a mistake, we'll throw them under the bus. Yep. We'll yep. destroy them. We'll slander them. We'll gossip. Yep. And uh, effectively, we'll say they're not worth yep. the forgiveness that I was forgiven. Yep. I, you know, I was forgiven a sea of debt, yep. but they're not worthy of that same forgiveness. I've got it, four. It was really, it, it was a lot. Yeah. No, I've got four, four, four fundamental observations and you hit the nail on the first two. And so um, I thank you for that contrib- contribution. We're going to build this all through the next um, the next hour. And I'm going to take some of what you say, Calday, and do that because we're kind of same on, on the same page because we worship the same God in the same context. You got the theme right. You got the paradigm right. So we're going to build on the father-son paradigm with a couple of other observations. Thanks for the call, my brother. Let me go to line number one now. No, let me see. Line number two and talk with Carol and Concord. Carol, are you there? Hi, Pastor Jesse. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm fine, and I miss you, and thank you for this show and program. And I have to tell you, I'm going to be quick because I called Joe and said I was on my way home, and I pulled over to call you, so... Well, see, you you got to honor, honor Pastor and then hurry up and honor your husband. Exactly. But um, the man that just called that, you know, he kind of said a lot of what I saw as well, but I wanted to comment on both things. First, Shay, who called, I just really appreciate what she said, because instead of, you know, maybe being offended and staying offended, what she said the next morning in her quiet time, she took it to the Lord, and she listened. She listened, and I just... Thank you, Shay, because that was, you know, that's what we need to do. If someone does give us something to think about, take it to the Lord and then listen for his voice. What is he saying to you? So she repented. She confessed, it sounds like, and repented. So amen to that. And then, sorry, go ahead. No, you got it. You got another Uh, point. Okay, yeah. And then on the movie, okay, so Joe and I saw it a week ago and we we couldn't look at each other because the tears were just pouring down our faces. And then um, we went to Bible study and told a few people about it. And we said, if you guys want to go, we'll go again. And I I feel like I got even a deeper meaning. And what I saw, you know, I think it's forgiveness as well, but it ties along with um, his relationship with people improved once he forgave his father, like even with his girlfriend and the man who um, said, go home, take care of business, you know, it's like, 
how our relationships are hindered when we're unforgiving. Yep. And once he forgave his father, things, you know, his relationship with God was, you know, I, I'm assuming had to be better because with all it started to improve. And I really learned from that, or I could say I experienced that because when Joe and I are off, yeah. it seems when my relationship with God is off and with other people. And honestly, I don't feel like an honest person. Yeah. I feel like I'm hidden yeah. and I'm running from something like he was running. Yeah. And then when I reconcile and ask for, for confess, repent, and turn to the Lord as Joe, because, you know, he's the one I live with all the time. That's so right. That's right. It's mostly with him. Yep. And then I just feel like, Lord, I'm in sync again, and I can walk again with you and honor you yep. and everyone else. So that's what I got out of the movie. I love it because you were able to translate the father-son paradigm to the husband-wife paradigm, which is the third covenant paradigm that we, we teach at, at Grace about how we understand the Bible. Old Testament father-son, uh, king-servant, and the New Testament husband-wife. And those are intimate relationships that are inviolable. It's really true. If you are a husband or a wife, um, you have to um, recognize that God providentially has placed each other in your life for your betterment in spite of all of our flaws. And it can reach back to a parent paradigm because with the the, the young man, um, he, he was able to exercise a massive gift of singing, but that gift was not coupled with the anointing of, uh, of the grace of forgiveness, which God uh, mandates for God to get the glory out of it. It would have been him getting the glory had he expanded his 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 ministry of of singing with with mercy me uh and it not be rooted in an authentic sense of universal forgiveness uh that honors the the commandments you know the bible is clear you honor god and you honor parents and and then you honor one another that's the that's the framework of scripture that's what god says honor me and then the fifth commandment is honor your mother and your father and from that framework do people who are objects of mercy and grace see an extension and an application of their life and other people. And so, yeah, the movie was tough for all of us, but it was absolutely necessary. Absolutely necessary. Yes. And that's the last thing I forgot to say is that, and then his music took off because it was God glorifying. It was from his heart. It was from his heart. So anyway, I'm going to get going, Pastor Jesse. I'll talk to you later. Blessings, blessings. Yeah, we'll wind it down here in a second. Let me make another application of the movie for you that I saw very clearly as well. The obligation of parents to uh, actually pour into their children in a way that gives them the ability to explore the fullness of God in themselves. Dad was not able to love his son the way that his son needed loving. And his dad was trying to protect his son from a harsh world by being hard on him and not uh, not recognizing that the impediment that he had with the world because he didn't know God. He was imposing upon his son. So his son experienced limitations. Uh, he was his son was trapped, if you will, uh, with, with not being able to actually be uh, more fully vulnerable in the dimension and realm of faith. Faith is risky. Faith uh, is hazardous. Faith 
is uh, is something that uh, that requires a sense of abandon, uh, not from biblical principles or from God, and not 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 faith does not allow you to just sin, but it does require you to move out into frontiers that are beyond your own personal capacity, intellectually, emotionally, and volitionally. Volitionally, and faith will move you to do things that you would not do otherwise. And uh, the young man was limited so long as he heard the words of his father that you can't do it. You can't do it. You can't do it because his father couldn't do it. It created in him an animosity, even though he was a forgiven sinner, he was, he was practicing unforgiveness and it hindered his capacity for fullness. The thing I loved about it, however, is once he saw that and he did, he saw that God was doing something to his son. And this also gets into communication issues, you guys. Because in reality, when he left, the young man went off to, to, to pursue his fame. His dad was writing him letters, letting him know how he impacted him over time on Sunday morning during the preaching. But the son wouldn't read the letters. So, again, communication was broken. And they were unable to actually interact. Communion is the term be able to resonate with their growth process. Dad was growing while his son was gone. The son wasn't growing, though the son was growing while he was at home. That's the paradoxical nature of the movie. The son was growing under the the, the, uh, the pro- prohibition and struggles and abuse of his dad. Totally wrong. Abuse. Totally wrong. But there you go. That's the world we live in, right? As soon as his son leaves and exercises his own freedom and autonomy, he's limited. But his dad now is learning more about God and himself. Why? Because dad is experiencing the takeaway principle of everybody leaving him because dad himself wasn't right. So the grace was all-encompassing. Powerful, powerful, powerful. A couple more observations. We'll talk about it after the break. one 367 I've got three lines open. Give me a call. one 367 Gregory, you hold on. I'll be right back. 